October and welcome back to Rotten Rewind. We're already in our third week of our Rotten Horror series where we crack open the basement door and tiptoe down the staircase of critically castigated films. If a movie doesn't break the 60% ceiling on RottenTomatoes.com, we get to discuss it here with a flashlight held beneath their faces. I'm Courtney Peranto. I thought that said critically castrated films. I was no, excited. No, castigated. Wow. I mean, they're still castrated, that kind of <laughs> <laughs> I'm Max Brew. <laughs> this week. Sorry, we don't get to talk about castration right yeah, away. I'm cast- <laughs> I'll find a way to bring it back. Don't worry. I think, like, if anything, the first movie, I think you can find a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This week is a, a reminder that we all go a little mad sometimes because Courtney <laughs> and I shackled ourselves to two reviled remakes Gus Van Sant's 1998 shot by shot remake of Psycho, one of Alfred Hitchcock's many masterstrokes, as well as Michael Haneke's 2007 remake. I know that there is a more, there's a better way to say his last name that I'm not saying. I've heard Haneke. Haneke. You know what? He's hateful. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, say it however you want. Is it, it, it's Michael, I'm, I'm a, just a good little white boy saying it. Michael Haneke's I think it might even be Michelle. It was Michael. No, it's not Michelle. Okay, okay. Not, we can't go I was thinking far. of Michelle Woolbeck, another very hateful person. No, it's not like I think Michelle they should Gondry. work together, but yeah, you're right, you're right. It's his remake of his own film from just 10 years before, Funny Games. Mm. And here to help us untangle these twisted, twisted films is our returning guest, Olivia Wilkie, who I'm definitely going to spell her name correct this time, <laughs> not like last time. Hi, Olivia. Hi. It's good How's to it? be back. Thank you hey, for dude. coming back. I was scared you wouldn't after I fucking... <laughs> oh, please. It's crazy Stop when you look time. at someone's name all the time. Like, I'll see your name pop up, like, you know, on, on different like, social media platforms or whatever, and, like, just never saw the two L's. Just... Yeah, it's it's easy to miss. They're just lines right next to each other. can blur into one. Olivia, did you ask to do this episode, or did we put you on it? I reached I, out. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happy to. I'm, I'm happy. Okay, no, she... you didn't yeah. pick this one? <laughs> No, I, didn't I forced her. This one. I but I do, I do genuinely like both of these movies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I was really hoping that you, like, a long time ago, were like uh, dibs on Psycho. Okay, let's, let's talk about Gus Van Sant's Psycho. We spent last Saturday night at the Bates Motel. Something is wrong out there, and I have to know what. Whenever possible, I want to see you. Mother, um, she just goes a little mad sometimes. Oh, God, mother! I go, rated R. Starts Friday. I felt like more than any other movie that we've talked about on the podcast, the plot of this movie feels almost useless to describe, but just in case, like, we have one person that for some reason has listened to this podcast before they watch the original Psycho or this psycho, I'm going to do just a basic plot synopsis, okay? After a heat of a moment decision to steal $400,000 from her boss's cash drop, Marion Crane ditches work early on a Friday and sets out to drive from Phoenix, Arizona to, I think, a Northern Californian town where her boyfriend, Sam, runs a hardware store and also lives in a tiny apartment in the back of said hardware store. Um, <laughs> Come so live small. with me in the back of my hardware store. So small. So caught <laughs> in a bout of... She steals the money. Dude, it's really <laughs> This small. guy's broke. <laughs> yeah. So caught in a bout of 
bad weather, Marion pulls over at the Bates Motel, where she rents a room from its innkeeper, Norman Bates, a sheltered but sweet-natured man who offers Marion a meal and a fucking glass of milk, which she accepts. That's how you know things are going I do down. feel <laughs> like that. There's been several movies that we've covered in the podcast where someone drinks or is offered milk, and I say, you're a freak, and something's bad going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> after retiring to her room early, Marion is attacked by an intruder while in the shower and does not survive the encounter. A horrified and sickened Norman cleans up the bloody mess, but soon Marion and the cash's absence are noticed and a trio comprised of a private investigator, Arbogast, Marion's lover, Sam, and Marion's sister, Lila, follow her trail to the Bates Motel and begin to poke around in order to find out what the hell happened to Marion. That seems like a gentle. What happened? To all that money. A gentle synopsis of both Hitchcock movie Psycho and Psycho. Yeah. Except the amount of money has been altered. Yeah, they added a zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, forty thousand. Forty thousand dollars is not worth it. I could use forty thousand dollars, but yeah, for some reason, my boss was like, "Here's half a million dollars." Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> a whole bank. half milli is so much more. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb fuck. And I feel like more than any other film we've talked about so far, I think like the inner and like extra textual pieces of this to this and like the original of Psycho are as important, if not more so, as the premise itself. Like when interviewed by fellow successful podcaster Mark <laughs> Marin, who is only second to us right now in the <laughs> podcast, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> we should spend the first 20 minutes of each episode talking about our personal lives so that we yeah. can... <laughs> oh, God damn it, man. So he's talking to Gus Van Sant. Van Sant said that the film wasn't really about learning about Hitchcock it was more about that during the 90s the joke about the executives was that they would rather make a sequel than they would want to make an original piece because there was less risk they would rather continue a story that's already known in the public and they were really searching for some for some way to do that which is funny because they've really found a way to do it in the last 20 years (laughs) like every other remake where actors are tasked with renewing iconic roles this one I think is like really really tricky so in Janet Lee's Mary, so in the the Hitchcock one, Janet Lee plays Marion. Here we have Anne Heche in kind of a pixie cut, sort of a twiggy cut. Not a great Lila, very nineties haircut. Very nineties haircut. <laughs> Lila, previously played by Vera Miles, is replaced with Julianne Moore with the Sony Discman. I had Sam that Loomis. Sony Discman. Me too. I Sam had that Loomis. Exact one. <laughs> yeah, no, with the yellow headphones, oh, yeah. it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam Lewis, Loomis, who was originally played by John Gavin, gets a glow up <laughs> by Peak Viggo Mortensen. Arborgrass is here played by William H. Macy. And slipping into the movie's biggest shoes is fucking Vince Vaughn, who I, I I think at the time it was like, why is Vince Vaughn doing this? But I, I think well, it makes sense. Vince Vaughn, I mean, that was a huge year for him because that was like really his big post-swingers year. Was this he, made? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, the Lost World Jurassic Park came out that year. Oh, fuck. And then he did two movies... That were more serious. Clay Pigeons, which is he's great in. That's one of my favorite Vince Vaughn performances. I haven't ever seen it. It's good. It's him and Walking Phoenix and Janine Garofalo. It's like a small town serial killer thriller. He plays another serial killer in it. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't seen it. That's yeah. It's really good. I'm pretty sure it's fresh. And then he did a movie I remember that I've never seen, but I do remember when it came out, was called Return to Paradise with also Anne H. What's the score on this guy? 
So it's super, uh, pretty rotten, 38%. But Gus Van Sant's previous movie was Goodwill Hunting, and that has a 97. So it's like one of the bigger drops, I feel like. And if yeah. anything, I prefer this to Goodwill Hunting. Maybe I'm just trying to be like, I, I do too. Okay. No, I, it's, it's more interesting <laughs> just overall, I think. I mean, look, I haven't it's seen more Goodwill rewarding. Hunting. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. Goodwill Hunting in a long time. It's, it's a really good movie for the most part from what i remember i think that because like i'm from portland where gus van sant is from and like it's not like la where we have like a ton of famous filmmakers we have basically like him and todd haynes uh yeah (laughs) that's it and oh that makes sense oh uh that's not true the one that directs only movies with michelle williams oh yeah kelly reihardt yeah yeah um anyway so there's like a few but like i grew up being probably like more of a Gus Van Sant fan than uh, like other teenagers. So like Drugstore Cowboy and My Own Private Idaho were things that I got to watch fairly young because my parents were just like proud that he lives here too. And so I think by the time like Goodwill Hunting comes out, it it just feels like the most conventional movie that he's done. He did Finding Forrester, right? He did. He did it afterwards. Yeah. After this, he's like, all right. Was his, like, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I'll do kind <laughs> of the same can, thing again. I'll bring Sean but, yeah. Connery back. <laughs> Uh, I've never seen Finding Forrester. I don't really... I've seen that one scene. (laughs) You're the man now, dog? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the only reason anyone remembers (laughs) You're the man now, dog! (laughs) I I really love Elephant and Jerry, actually. I like Elephant a lot. I I love the Death Trilogy, yeah. Those those three are great. You've seen Paranoid Park? uh, No, I've seen um, Jerry, Elephant, and and Last Days. Yeah. I should... See, Last Days is the one I want to revisit, because that was the one I didn't dig. Same. It's my least favorite of the three for sure had we all seen this before yes yeah Yeah, okay but i hadn't seen it since i was a kid me too i Uh, owned it on vhs as a child this version of it yes i did wow okay because i I, like a very early crush for me when i was still a virgin was vince vaughn there was something fucked up about me that i saw swingers and made and thought to myself as a 15 16 year old that asshole the guy that's kind of the villain like i like him i want right. to fuck a guy like that someday and so i did do that for a long time is uh <laughs> go after toxic men i think i'm done quarantine uh did it but so i was like a completist where i was like obviously i need to see vince vaughn as norman Bates. so i also had this on vhs that i think i got like at a garage sale or something I don't think that's that weird. I mean, Vince Vaughn's okay. super handsome, especially. He is really handsome. handsome. But when yeah. I would tell my girlfriends that then and now, they were all kind of like, fucking, really? I don't I'm think like, that's that I weird. I, mean, I feel like a lot of people find Vince Vaughn very attractive. Yeah. Like, I think that was yeah. part of casting him in this. Was Especially in something like Swingers and Swingers where he's like, just so... He's like thin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but yeah. he's like, okay. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, he's, I think he's both. I think he's both. Yeah. There's something like pretty about him in Swingers that's also slimy. He is definitely attractive. And his lips in, in Psycho are, are very appealing to me. They, his they lips are and nose very, combination. He's yeah. got very luscious lips in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I kept noticing cool that. He's giving run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never noticed his lips until this movie because I feel like maybe Beautiful. his lips disappear the older he gets. I don't know. I he think shrinks. that he is coming a more fuller bodied 
person. I think he has natural <laughs> fillers now. <laughs> I think he, I just think he's like a fuller body dude now. But I mean, like he's not he's not a slight dude. He's really fucking tall. So I think he kind of no, looks a big good guy. with some yeah. heft on him. Like I'm not saying that I wouldn't fuck him now. Like he's welcome to come over. I just got a COVID <laughs> test. But I think that like that's maybe why like some of his facial features like are more chiseled. I would say psycho and before. I think around. I think old school and because I do think that this movie in old school kind of mark an equator in his career that like if this would have done different like been a different movie or like been more successful or if he hadn't done this like I think he could have like not plummeted into like the comedies that we're used to seeing him in now right. that said I love him in an old school he was always my favorite part of old school he's great in old school I mean, he's a really, he has a very specific kind of comedic touch that obviously works really well. And I think his service really well here. I don't think I appreciated his performance like the first time I saw it when I was like 16 or however old I was. Now I'm like, I think he did a good job. I also think it's almost, I, can you think of another role that's like as famous, like to like step, like it's like more so than the Bill Murray part in Ghostbusters. It's like, and, it, and that's like even supposed to be like a different character this is supposed to be like the same character it's one that i definitely can't think of many other like other roles that are so closely associated with that actor yeah mm -hmm. like when you think of anthony perkins you just automatically think of norman bates yeah almost wiped out the rest of his career i was 10 when this psycho came out okay i had not seen the original psycho yet whoa so i saw this psycho first no really yeah. yeah so i saw this psycho first i remember thinking it was really cool so then i watched the original psycho and then i watched all the sequels okay i rented Wait, all the sequels can i ask the question were you scared when you watched this version of Psycho for the first time? No. Okay. No. Because that's funny, because actually the first scary movie I ever saw was the original Psycho. Oh, wow, okay. With my best friend Amy at the time. We were children, and what was so scary, it, like, we were terrified because we we're pussies, but also because, you know how it flashes, like, the date in both versions, like, the first time, like, in the first yeah. moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we just happened to have watched it on that day, and it, like, spooked Ooh. us. Yeah. Fuck. So it was like the first horror movie I ever saw. I think we got away with running it because it just got back rated as PG. So we just walked up to Hollywood Video and like right. got it when yeah, we were yeah. very young, like 10 or 11. Yeah. And so we were really fucking scared at Psycho and we didn't know the ending and we didn't because like it wasn't that age, like the internet really wasn't a thing yet. So we were, and our parent and like she's from Korea and my parents d uh, d don't talk to me. Um, so like no one had like given, like spoiled the ending and it was really scary the first time I watched it. But like this one, even as like a 16 year old, because it is like so true to their original, it's not, it's like, it's not scary at all because you're able to like predict. It's like when you, it's like how, when you try to tickle yourself, it doesn't work because your body can like predict where your hand is. Like, I, I, like not to say that it's like not an effective movie. I think it like does what it wants to do, but I wasn't scared by it. And I want to hear someone who's genuinely scared of this movie really bad. It's funny because if he remade it, he could still remake it shot for shot. And by just removing a couple little things, I think it would have been PG-13. Like I mm -hmm. think the R comes from adding so much more blood to the shower scene. And, and the jerk off scene. And yeah. the masturbation scene. Yep. yep. Uh, which is... That is, I think, the most obvious addition yeah yeah like mm -hmm. the the masturbation scene is is questionable to me because it's like there there are key things here where he's like because okay. you think he'd be too sleepy to go put on a new outfit <laughs> oh god <laughs> well, <laughs> um 
it's interesting because like in the original you have like it's like a Hayes Code movie so it's like you can't right. really get into very specific things about even the relationship between Marion and Sam and even like and obviously Norman Bates and his sexuality or how he represses things there's it's interesting because like when he's masturbating i remember like that really stood out to me even as a kid i was like oh well that's fucking weird and then yeah and you see it now and it's like it's kind of not even hinted at in the hitchcock movie but there is a hint of sexual gratification or something that's coming from it Mm -hmm. and so like I'm always confused. I'm torn on that part because it's like adding masturbation on one hand. It's like it makes sense because, yeah, in the 60s, I'm assuming like if there wasn't all these, you know, restrictions, like they might have had that because that's kind of alluding to what's happening. And like, that's what you do when you peep on somebody. But also like, is it about the sexual gratification? Does he get that from watching her and masturbating or does he get it from the murder? Does he, I think it's like, I don't know. Yeah. So it kind of asked to me, it feels maybe unnecessary because it also because was always kind of better when he had the sensors on him too, because he had to be clever. Like, I'm sure you look this up, but like the little painting in both movies that he like turns up, but he, that he moves yeah. to be, do you know this? Is it stupid? No, um, I don't know. Okay. So he moves, he, he like moves a painting to be able to watch her and in the Hitchcock one, he just watches. And in the, um, this one he masturbates but so like that painting is like a classical it's it's been like redone also over and over and over again so i mean i guess like here that's like ultra important because so it's a scene of a rape that has been copied in several different uh, like paintings of the era that it was made in and the one that hitchcock chooses in his original movie is more explicit was considered to be like a more explicit depiction of that interesting okay and so i think that like that could also be van sant winking at you and like like upping the ante there but what i and like and then i'm not entirely kidding when i say like would norman be too tired to put on another outfit because i remember the first time i saw it i was like well i feel like the murder in the first one is the stand-in for ejaculation like it's exactly like it it is it is the sexual outburst but then like this time i watched and i was like maybe it's also his punishment so i think there's like two ways to read it i think that also maybe the four or five things that are in this movie that are different are necessary to snag you at all because that is i think like just like the biggest and most obvious difference between the two i don't like or dislike it um yeah it's, it's i wish like i could have seen some dick just kidding <laughs> well the, <laughs> he does <laughs> really he barely doesn't show you vigo mortensen's body in the beginning oh, like they the, really dance does he around have a that. tramp stamp he has a tramp stamp yeah yeah <laughs> Vigo's Vigo's kind of a himbo in this movie, I gotta say. He he just kind of was for a good, like, the first decade of his career. But he's kind of playing the character like just a fucking dumb dude who fucks. I know, I love it. (laughs) I love it. That is what I'm looking for, too. I mean, we should talk about some of the other performances, too, because I think obviously the casting of this is pretty specific, especially for the time, because, like, Mm -hmm. Julian Moore and Vigo Mortensen are still they were just kind of getting started as far as well if anything they've like prestiged since then like at this point they're kind of doing more schlock you have Anne Hayes who I think is the most peculiar I hate her in this I cannot stand her I love her outfit (laughs) I think she sucks all of the chemistry out of every scene for me I agree with you she seems very annoyed yeah she does yeah she's She's irritated right she's a Karen I just want my money, okay? (laughs) (laughs) He does seem annoyed. And then I was like, I don't know who it would have else it could have been and i don't know if it's also because out of the cast she's the one that's the least known now but it just doesn't work for me 
either. I do love her clothes. I love her costuming. The costuming is very interesting yeah. in this movie, but I love it because it's tacky. She, she wasn't. I feel like also at this time she was also known as being. Was this? She was when she was dating Ellen. DeGeneres. This was known when she was yeah Ellen's yeah. girlfriend. Yeah. So there's so, kind of like the. So I think like a big part of this and something that I did want to talk to Olivia about because I think that we both picked up on this was the queer gay aspect psycho. of this movie. Yeah. It is gay psycho. It's gay it's, psycho for sure. It's, it's so Gus Van Sant openly gay and Haish openly gay at the time. And then <laughs> Vaughn, I think, is playing him far more queer than Anthony That's Perkins. That's funny because like, yeah, I was going to say because Perkins is, is or gay. was gay mm-hmm. or i think queer i think he was yeah i don't think he was gen- he was he was, like, he was yeah. more fluid in his sexuality i don't know i think that that i think Norman bates in general i think that that's in the character like i th- i think that he does that i think the original has that too why don't you go away to a private island like you no no not like me just i could do that who'd take care of her She'd be all alone up there. Fire go out, be cold, damp, like a grave. If you love someone, you can't do that to them. <laughs> Even if you hate them. I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you, if you... If you put her someplace? Do you mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? I think all of the performances are camped up to like a degree where, I don't know, everyone is just kind of leaning into the aspects that were kind of buried in the original. Like like the gayness or queerness. Yeah, so I, th- I think he, he kind of knew what he was doing with that and ran with it. But that's interesting that Gus Van Sant said no. It's, I would say he is. He does it a few times. It's mostly in his gait and his like walk. But he also mm-hmm. like there's a scene, the scene that follows him up the stairs in the house. Oh, he does kind of sashay. He sashays. And I was like, Vince Vaughn's mm-hmm. like sashaying his fucking fat ass right now. <laughs> I was like, what's <laughs> I going felt on like with maybe Norman he Bates? was like in his mind kind of morphing into like the girl character. That's mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, because he has to inhabit both those. And then there really is like a camp quality to this that I think think is so much mm-hmm. fun because yeah, it's yeah. kind of leaning in it like you said like yeah it's it's taking all the things that had to be kind of buried or subtly kind of sprinkled throughout in the original because of the time and just in amping them up which is really just the definition of how we remake everything now it's just mm-hmm. like whatever was unspoken like we need to say it out loud now when we remake things but with this it's so interesting because it is just like we're going shot for shot it's the same story it's pretty much the same dialogue except a couple tweaks here and there yeah and then there's just little things added in that kind of that bring you into modern day. And even the way the characters dress is interesting because it feels like it's clashing between modernism in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the costume designer, when she came on board, thought it was a period piece. She didn't understand. Oh, really? She didn't know. So she, huh? So she started costuming everything in the beginning to be in the 60s. 
which I think makes sense because it feels like... Yeah, I can like definitely it, see that. Yeah. Because her little <laughs> outfit actually looks like something that Tippi Hendren would have worn in The Birds. Like the color of it, mm-hmm. like the coloring of the clothing is in those like kind of garish neons that I yeah. like that is more like the technicolor where Hitchcock gets to like 10 years after Psycho, like a North by Northwest where I think especially like The Birds. Yeah, because like I really like the costumes. I think that they, they really pop. But I was kind of like, I don't think that Marion would wear that pillboxy type suit that she wears like up at the front that's almost like a Jackie O riff. Right, right. Like it's very pink. Yeah. There's so many interesting ways to look at this movie and its existence. And also just, you know, to finish off the casting, like the rest of the cast, even the bit parts, I think are really well cast and interesting. Like James Remar is the cop. Right. It's great. Also really never noticed until this time. I was like, this cop is so annoying. Oh, he's so annoying. But Hitchcock hated cops. What's that? Okay. Hitchcock hated cops and like had like a tenuous relationship with others too. Yeah. And so both of those (laughs) things are always played because I think that they're oftentimes something that you classically think of as like a protector and like uh, for comfort and like mothers and cops to him are like cops are kind of like dumb, dumb, dumbs, like annoying dumb, dumbs and, and just like an extra threat. And then mothers are at prison. James LeGros, who plays the car salesman. Mm-hmm. really channeling just the feeling and the tone i feel like of the original philip baker hall pop up always a welcome presence love robert forster totally forgot he was the psychiatrist at the end and then you have flea yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting cool it's an interesting cast and honestly you know who's fucking great in this is william h william macy, h. macy. well william so h macy out of the entire cast kind of looks like someone from a Hitchcock movie anyway like he does have like a booster seat of looking like an old-timey actor anyway but it seems like he like is just really energized and excited to play this character Mm -hmm. right I mean that's what's cool about Norman is that like even when he seems fishy he doesn't seem like a killer and like that's what yeah he's innocent is what he's I mean he's yeah he's like a child he has like a naivety to him his throaty laugh he gets like the the (laughs) laugh that gets caught like (laughs) I love that Vince Vaughn. So yeah, I think that's the thing that works too about Vince Vaughn's performance is that he brings his signature laugh to it. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that laugh in that character, it's so much more unsettling. Oh yeah. yeah. And he does also really like he leans into certain things like the 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 neck crane when he mm-hmm. is looking oh, at the books. Yes. I love he I love like, that. I love it. I think he's so good in that part. And I think both of them are great in that scene. I think that's William H. Macy is just William H. Macy is also just one of those guys who's like he's like a mammoth actor. So he can really just like when you just need someone to be natural and just kind of say things kind of flat mm-hmm. but make them feel just mm-hmm. natural. Like it just I don't know, he's so good at that and especially both of them in that scene. Change your mind? You know, I must have one of those faces you just can't help believing. <laughs> Is anyone at home? No. Oh, there's someone sitting up in the window. No, there isn't. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Take a look. Oh, that's my mother. She's an invalid. An an invalid. It's practically like living alone. Oh, I see. If this girl, Marion Crane, were here, you wouldn't be hiding her, would you? No. Not even if she paid you a lot of money? (laughs) No. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that she wanted you to gallantly protect her. You'd know you were being used. You wouldn't be made a fool of, would you? I'm not a fool. I'm not capable of being made a fool. I know. Not even by a woman. I think as far as like the shot for shot concept of the movie, which obviously was the biggest 
you know, that was the most talked about aspect of it was like, you're not just remaking Psycho, you're remaking it shot for shot and you're colorizing it. First of all, the movie looks incredible. It's Chris Doyle, right? Yeah. Who's like fucking top five guys. And it's an interesting, I feel like it would be an interesting challenge as a cinematographer. But I think it's interesting when you, because you watch a lot of films from the 60s or that era, anything in like the 40s or 50s. And like the simplicity of plot is so much more noticeable. Like it's really Mm -hmm. just like there's not a lot of fat and there didn't need to be. I think of the movie, I guess, as as more of an experiment, just an experiment for for Gus Van Sant. And so I... I think it's it's more of just watching it the the little filmmaking aspects as opposed to like the story of Psycho. But I have seen Psycho so many times, and it is interesting watching this remake. I don't look at Psycho as like a like some. I don't really look at many movies as like a holy grail. As like oh you can't touch that. I I think that Hitchcock is like obviously an incredibly important filmmaker in a lot of ways. He's just not one of my favorites, so I've never really fully connected to him in a way where I think that like he's just like a god or something like that. And especially watching the shot for shot translation here, there's so many shots that are so brilliant and so interesting. But then there's some where I was like, there was absolutely no reason for you to do that. I mean, he is one of my favorite filmmakers, but I don't think that like anyone's like untouchable. And I also think that this movie came out maybe around the height of like film nerds giving a fuck about like AFI's top 100. And so I think that like there was like an over preciousness about this movie. Like I think people were overly upset. Like it fucking doesn't matter like so many movies get remade and you know yeah. if they're shitty you forget about them and they think that when this movie was made like oh god so long ago now like people cared too much about like what's going to be number one on those lists is it vertigo is it citizen kane at the time i think it was still citizen kane now i think it's vertigo and i think that like actually since this movie hitch like i think orson wells in the 90s was considered the best american film director ever maybe the best director ever by like places like afi and now i think that it's hitchcock i like both of those directors quite a bit i like a lot of old movies but i think that like sometimes now i feel like instead of being too precious about films like this like young kids just like get their own version that gets to sort of like be tailored to the society that they live in. And I also think like that can be unchallenging. And what's like fun about old movies is kind of like having to adjust yourself to something that was like made so, so, so long ago. And when it comes to like the character developments that you were talking about, that like you don't really understand Sam and Marion's relationship. And then some of the cut, um, not the one that you were talking about with Arbogast, but definitely the ones in the shower and a lot of the kill scenes, the relationships and those cuts are there and they do feel like kind of wonky or weird or experimental, mostly because of the times. And like, he can't explicitly say they are fucking like in the book, like not to be this bitch, but I'll be this bitch. But like, in, in like the Hitchcock Truffaut book, which like is so great just to read because it's really, it feels like it's going to be like such a like film nerd shit and it is, but it just like shows you how enthusiastic Truffaut was about old movies and about Hitchcock movies in particular. And they're just like in an, a, like a really energized conversation about him. But like Hitchcock says, what the only reason why he puts a date on the beginning of the movie is because he wants audiences to feel like it's every other day. So when you get to crane into their hotel, 
well, you're assuming more. Like, I think that what we need to appreciate also about someone like Hitchcock, who was always sashaying the, the, like, the guidelines, like, the Hays Code and shit, is, like, like he finds a way to be clever. And so, like, that, that crane shot into the hotel room is actually different here because right. Van Sant is able to do that. And Hitchcock says, like, the way he wanted to do it is the way that Van Gus Van Sant yeah, did, did it now. To, and he yeah. wanted Marion to not have her bra on because he feels like that was would be how it would be. Of course. And yeah. it's like, and like with the murder scene, like he would love to have like shown it actually penetrating her, but he can't. And it being a black and white, like there was definitely, there was color film in 1960, but like it's a black and white to one save money, but also because people, it was, would be too scary to show that much blood going down the drain. Like it would have been right, like unthinkable. Right. Like people were like when this was test screen, the original psycho people left the theaters remembering the red blood going down the drain, even though it was a black and white, like it was that sure. scary at the time. And we have been kind of like inoculated to it. Like there's so much yeah. blood on like that shitty show scream Queens. Like it were, I don't know. We're oh, yeah. You can show too. so much. You can show so you can much. Show so much. much. <laughs> yeah. rating. No, absolutely. And I think that's like the importance of it. And, you know, thinking about like, yeah, how fucking crazy it would have been to see this movie in 1960 in a theater, knowing nothing about it, because that's really the biggest appeal of it. And that's something that we that's so interesting about Gus Van Sant taking of all movies, a movie that is completely really predicated on knowing nothing mm-hmm about it and being like no we're gonna do the same thing and you know everything about it you know the kill you know the famous shower scene you know the twist you know all the ins and outs of this movie how does it translate when you watch it now it is interesting because you can watch the first 40 minutes of psycho and if you knew nothing about it you could just think like oh this is going to be like a thriller it's going to be like a on the run kind of thriller with this woman who escapes with this money and it's especially if you know like his previous catalog too and what's fascinating too is like if that fucking script was presented today to a studio they would say this becomes a totally different movie 45 minutes and I'm confused. Mm -hmm. Why did you do this? And they wouldn't probably make it because they would be confused about how it's basically lying to the audience and it's basically leading them down a road and then completely fucking flips the table. What I really noticed this time is like, and maybe this is like a pretty basic observation that I'm sure has been talked about, but the idea of taking Janet Lee in the original and making her essentially your lead for the first 40 minutes and then killing her obviously is really shocking. But I think it's interesting because it's basically like what every horror movie does now and especially post Scream is that opening kill, you know, where you you get like a surprise death or it's like this big first death, but it's always done in the first like 10 to 15 minutes. So to to drag it out and give her an arc and a plot in the first 40 minutes, it strangely humanizes somebody that we're so used now to not seeing any humanity in. They're used as a body to kill. Mm -hmm. Like it's basically like we're going to use this person to just get like a thrill out of it for the moment. And to and actually their fame really matters. Like yeah. Drew Barrymore's fame matters. Exactly, in, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, screen. yeah. Like it's not just a body, it's we're, we're gonna take this beloved body and, yeah. and like brutalize it really early. Obviously, like there's a place for both. Like it's great to watch a horror movie that's fun and silly and really bloody and like where you don't really have any investment in the characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I watched because, Friday the 13th again yesterday. And I yeah, was like, well, everyone also, can die. <laughs> but it makes it easier for us to swallow that and be like, yeah, kill all these fucking kids like who gives a shit yeah but when you when you spend some time with someone for 40 minutes like that and you see their arc and then they're brutally murdered like that it just adds so much more to it and it's so much more interesting but um, going back to like i think how Anne hayesh might be this movie's like flaw janet lee was really 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 famous at the time Anne hayesh is like really fa- well known but maybe not beloved or famous and so and yeah. also like her you're right olivia like her character does seem like 
kind of annoyed and persnickety. Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that like yeah. was looking more forward. Or maybe that's part of the trick too. Like maybe maybe he like wants you to want her to die in yeah, the same way that like you want the Julie Benz character to die in Dexter until you she does and you realize that you're an asshole. No matter what, like that the shower scene is still super upsetting. Her eyes dilate, I think, in this before she hits the ground. And then the shower curtain gets a good update. It's prismed. Like I, I like all the differences and I think like with that shower scene and Arbogast death scene there it's like also like spliced with like weird shit he gets spliced with like a peach show and she gets spliced with the storm yeah, those and were the I things don't that stuck know out if I like it but I do almost feel like it's necessary because I don't then almost nothing would change that's the part of the movie that feels dated it does I know and I was gonna Weirdly say we enough. also have like the benefit of like not now this is old to us too we're at the time like I don't know like who would do it now and what would we think of it like I don't know and i don't know like i honestly think it's interesting if you took a movie like psycho and remade it shot for shot every 20 years me but too yeah i would i think that's like that. fuck yeah. it it should yeah. just the reign should be passed on to a new like big director to be like yeah. here have fun with this like <laughs> and how does it affect you like i think it's an interesting it is a essentially it's a big budget art experiment yeah and also like Hitchcock was such like a playful, weird, funny guy that I kind of think he would like it. I do think it captures Hitchcock's own sense of like play and, yeah. and like giddiness about making movies. And I like, that's what I think is like a bummer where instead of being like overly precious about the first one, I feel like I wish that people showed like extreme deference to these old things more instead of just being like, God, we, I hate to bring it up for like the fourth week in a row, like the new craft where it's just like, it looks like it just, yeah, you're right. It looks, it looks like, like fan it, fiction it, or something. Yeah. Instead yeah. of doing that, it's just like, ugh. it's yeah. And there was an interview with his daughter, Patricia Hitchcock, who gave this movie her blessing and was on set and was in the behind the scenes that I was watching and they interviewed her. She was kind of surprised of like it being panned by critics. And she said that this actually felt like something that her own, father would have done well he did we'll talk about he it he did remake and, yeah. his own yeah movie but to me like why i think someone like david fincher gets compared to like kubrick a lot and i definitely get that but i think he is kind of in our our way closer to a hitchcock i believe so too yeah because he's because he, they're also like adapters like they never decided yeah. like i'm gonna write a screenplay you get a sense of them through their work but not the way that you do with other directors and you you definitely they both have a very kind of dark playful sense of humor that feels kind of like pranksterish in its own way mm-hmm. and, but who would direct the new one and who would be in it who's our norman yeah you gotta have long and lanky Long Lanky, I always think Lakeith. He's just my favorite body, like of that He's body great. type. What about Robert Pattinson? I was just Norman? gonna say, yeah. Oh, oh okay. It's, oh, almost Shia? Too, Shia. it's almost obvious at this point, but Pattinson would be great. Yeah, we know Pattinson could play Norman Bates. Is there who's like the Vince Vaughn though? Like, I think it's almost you have to follow the like. Oh, the the, the previous trajectory. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, like, so you got director? dumber with who's coming off a big hit, like a director. Okay, then then let's replace Marion with Reese Witherspoon. Let's give her like the ultimate like <laughs> like type yeah, A like makeover. And and she's a big star, and it would still suck to see her die. Yeah, I don't know who the mm-hmm. Anne Hache of twenty twenty is. That we're just like, oh, <laughs> that's weird that you cast her and thought It'd we were like there. Paris Hilton. Um, no, that's House of. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. Would Sofia Coppola be too weird? Because like, I do think the last movie she did was like suspenseful adjacent. <laughs> you know who I think would do it out of recent, mm. if you had to go off of recent best director guys coming off a hit, who I think would do something like this is Barry Jenkins. 
Oh, you're right, actually. I think you were you fucking would. right. Mm-hmm. I think that is a good call. Jank. As far as Norman, see, I would say if it was 10 years ago, or even maybe a little less, it would be Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pattinson would be fucking great. Say, that's the one I'd have picked for you myself. How much? Go ahead, spin it around. Oh, no, no, no. No, it looks fine. How much will it be with my car? You mean you don't want the usual day and a half to think it over? Nope. You are in a hurry. Somebody chasing you? Of course not. Please. Well, it's the first time I ever saw the customer high pressure the salesman. I guess we should talk about critics. Um, this one's going to annoy me, I can tell. Yeah, okay, so okay. it this has a 38 like- it's a 38% and also it's like okay I think also this really is one of the defining movies I think both of these movies actually kind of are but especially this is like how do you approach this movie with classical critical analysis like I wouldn't really know like if someone was like you gotta grade this movie I'd be like I don't know what to give this movie it's ungradable it's an experiment so so at that point I would give it a fucking A but yeah, you know what I mean? like doesn't it hit exp- the marks that he asked to a. hit yeah, yeah. Yeah, so many of the reviews are bad because it's like, well, it's the same movie. So are you reviewing the movie or are you reviewing what it represents? Mm -hmm. And are you mad that it exists? Are you... I think both of these movies, what's great is they both kind of beg the question, like, what is the point of any of this? Like, why do we even But that begs the question, like, especially when it comes to the next movie where a lot of the reviews are like, was this necessary? And then at that, I would say, is any movie? Like, how important do you think you are? Like, none of them are necessary. They're all, they're all superfluous. Like, we don't need movies. I love movies and I need them in my life because I'm a privileged person, but they're all stupid. Like, they're, like, we don't need any of them. I think we need I think like anything, like we need art, like we need music. We need things that we don't, we, if they didn't exist, obviously wouldn't, we wouldn't know that we need them but we need storytelling and we need like the evolution of storytelling but like so i think those things are necessary but the idea of a specific movie being necessary exactly it's like i don't know <laughs> as far as the reviews though we'll start with the big guy roger ebert gave it one and a half stars he said the movie is kind of surprised in- he said the movie is an invaluable experiment in the theory of cinema because it demonstrates that a shot by shot remake is pointless genius apparently resides between or beneath the shots or in chemistry that cannot be timed or counted I understand where he's coming from, even if I disagree. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good observation. He also made a note about the masturbation scene. He said that the masturbation felt appropriate because this new psycho evokes the real thing in an attempt to recreate remembered passion. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Ian Montagni of UK Film Critic. He said, with the vibrant color photography, we find ourselves getting caught up in the style. And so instead of atmosphere being added, all that happens is the tension being detracted. Perhaps they should Mm -hmm. have recreated the period of the original film. That seems more pointless to me. Yeah. Why? Philip Wunsch of Dallas Morning News said, The film is polished when it should be edgy and impersonal when it should be seductive. I... <laughs> I don't know if I understand that. It's the same fucking movie. It's just... Does he not, yeah, that my, my question is, like, does he not like Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> Yeah, because there's a, there's other reviews, too, that talk about, like, they're like, oh, the suspense is gone. And it's like, of course it's of gone, course motherfucker. It's, it's been 40 years. <laughs> what do you mean? And, like, like you assholes all have, like, gone to film school or whatever. It's like, yeah, the suspense is probably gone in the first one, too. Like It's just not the same. Yeah, I didn't watch Psycho at 10 years old and think, like, and oh, my God. it does show, like, how <laughs> disgusting and, like, masochistic we are in the sense that we're, like, the body count's not high enough. You know, it's like, if yeah. under, like, the 
lens of like 1998 like if it isn't suspenseful it's because like we're calloused i think it's more interesting personally to remake a movie the way that he did than it is to just remake a really great movie and be like, oh, i'll just try my hand at it like yeah same sometimes yeah, i'm like absolutely. why don't we remake movies that could have been good well i mean oceans 11 i think is a movie that does that like oceans 11 the original oceans 11 oh, I don't know, is either way one- better it sucks. It's and you can tell that better. Frank Sinatra just like showed up to set me and like, I'm not going to do that. Like he just doesn't. <laughs> and, and like there is not one scene or maybe there's one scene at the end where they are all 11 in the room together. Like it was shot during their off times of their Vegas show. And you can tell it's like if I made a movie like on the way out to my car from my apartment, like, and I do like, those are always like the, I think the remakes that are the most successful, like in general and critically, they're able to recess something old and like actually make it better i think that is the number one maybe that does that but i agree the weird thing about remakes and like classical hollywood remakes is like the star is born is a movie that has been what is the difference between like a remake that like ooh you should never touch or something that almost does become like every era gets its own because like all versions of the star is born are considered good and this last one is considered like incredible and it's like i don't really understand like where that balance being teeters of being like untouchable or like please touch this every 35 years right, or right. else like you're robbing the audience of it like the i don't fucking understand this. and it also begs the question of who's remaking it not that gus van sant didn't have credibility but like if scorsese remade psycho shot for shot i bet you would you be more interested in changing his, their yeah. tune. Mm-hmm. I bet you. Yeah. It, I think it usually depends on who the messenger is because I think that if you didn't know that somebody directed a movie, I think that's the that's the worst thing about preconception. I think that's why this movie is an interesting experiment because it really is about what is our, our preconceived notions going into a movie. Some positive reviews for it because there were some people that liked it. Good. Elvis Mitchell, the New York Times, liked it. He said, Neat. It remains the most structurally elegant and sneakily playful of thrillers. At least some things never change. Rob Blackwelder of Spliced Wire. This gutsy cinematic experiment is more than just a curiosity. It's an intelligent homage, at times even a spoof, and still a bit of a hand wringer, even though pop culture has spoiled all the surprises. I think that's a great point. I think that's, it does kind of work yeah. as a campy spoof of Psycho. Mm-hmm. Eugene Novikov of Film Blather said, To my absolute astonishment, I enjoyed the remake more than the original. Whoa, Okay kind of psycho yeah (laughs) (laughs) um owen gleaverman of entertainment weekly i was surprised gave this movie an a he said what makes the original loom in our imaginations to this day is the way that through its violence and terror its trapdoor nightmarishness it's slashed through the essence of the 50s itself van sant's psycho is a fascinating stunt but it's as weightless as air because it depicts the annihilation of a world that has already been destroyed i agree with that actually yeah it's interesting. I like that. Yeah, I don't usually like him, but that's a good good review. Yeah, that's a great point. A little quick behind the scenes, talking about who would have played Norman Bates. There were some good candidates. I can't imagine anyone else. And so like that tells me that I like the performance, yeah. Well, Toby McGuire was considered. Ew. Jeremy Davies, who actually plays young Norman Bates in one of the sequels. Uh... And then the heavyweights, Christian Bale and Joaquin Phoenix were considered. Oh, I can Ooh. imagine both of that. They would have been so Joaquin... showy, though. Yeah. I think Joaquin would have been really good. Especially Joaquin would get cast now. Fuck it. He would, for sure. I'm sorry. I like Vince Vaughn in it. I do, too. I think it's a more interesting choice. It's the more unexpected choice. Laura mm-hmm. Linney was offered the role of Marion Crane. She turned oh. it down to do The Truman Show. And this would have been, wow, so much better. Nicole Kidman was offered the role of Marion Crane. I oh. was thinking yeah. that, that it should have been, been Kidman. Fuck. What a shame. Um, Interestingly enough, Drew Barrymore was also considered, which is weird to come out of the stream. And Heche was quoted as saying, I've never even seen Psycho. I just wanted to work with Gus. 
god. When Robert Forster received the script, he believed the producers had accidentally sent him a copy of the script for Psycho. Oh, that's funny. And his agent and his agent contacted the producers to request a copy of the new script. Gus Van Sant then personally contacted Forster to confirm that they were in fact using the exact same script. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> During filming, Gus Van Sant brought along a DVD player and played the original Psycho, and they used this for reference. When he spotted a mistake, a door open without a key, a door opening without a key, Van Sant decided to put the same mistake into his film. I like that. Interesting. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. I think this is one that we've all heard about before, but Quentin Tarantino has gone on record stating that he preferred yeah. Van Sant's remake to the original film, saying that the remake was more real. I don't... Well, Tarantino's like so annoying sometimes. I, I like him most when he's talking about things like this. I like him same. when he has this mm -hmm. kind of weird off-the-cuff opinion that you're like, oh, I see. And it doesn't even feel contrarian. It's just like... No, no, no. It is not yeah. weird, unique view on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not being a troll. He's just a fucking weirdo. All right. Director Ty West has been one of the few defenders of the film. He argues that Van Sant as a director by remaking Psycho completely shot for shot was experimenting and creating a commentary on the quality of a film. By taking a beloved classic that has been worshipped and acclaimed since its release by critics and film scholars, the fact that the shot for shot remake was so derived upon release is to West a fascinating result of this particular experiment since Van Sant took a great film and copied this completely. And then yeah, finally when asked why he did a shot for shot full color remake of Psycho, Gus Van Sant replied, so no one else would have to. He said he, he said he does not consider the remake a copy of the original film. He said if I hold up a camera, even if it's in the fine, even if it's in the same place, it will magically take on the on the character. Our psycho showed you you can't really appropriate, or you can, but it's not going to be the same thing. I do think he's kind of being a troll there. Like I think that I think the whole movie is him trolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think I mean, that yeah. he is like a catty, funny dude. I've <laughs> yeah. um, interacted with him a few times. Like he, like I think he, like he just he's a snob in like the best way, yeah. and so he can like and he can snob about his own stuff in a way that doesn't make me like Mariah can do it. There are a few people that can be a snob about like their own art, and I and I eat it up, and he's one of them. I don't know if you noticed at the end of the credits, um, it says in memory of Alfred Hitchcock, which I think is the ultimate troll like i didn't notice that because <laughs> yeah. oh fucking homeboy died 20 years before this was yeah made. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he awesome. died during the making yeah i was like i uh, know i was like wait when did hitchcock die again I was no, like, yeah in the, the 80s time. and <laughs> i feel like that's such a like fuck like throw yeah. it in there <laughs> who's the mvp of psycho it's it's vince i'm i'm gonna go gus <sighs> okay is it, if gus is an option yeah well, and also like anyone's an option. I, there are no I, rules. I, I'm usually guilty of picking the actors, but in this case, I would probably pick Vince Vaughn for every movie that he's in as an MVP because I like him that much. So I'm gonna pick Gus. Oh man, I'm really torn. I'm gonna do a tie between Gus and Vince because I don't know who to pick. I yeah. think it's the most interesting. I think it really is interesting, and it might just be Gus because he cast Vince Vaughn. Exactly. So, that's yeah. I mean, it's all him. But like, I love Vince Vaughn. He's so good in this movie. He's trolling. He's making a satire. He's camping it up he's doing a weird film school experiment on a studio's dime i'm like that's crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. that yeah. is so tight like, he gets an, he gets his first oscar nomination and, and universal's like what do you want to do and he's like can you get remake a psycho please <laughs> i'm gonna need i'm gonna need 60 million and i'm gonna I make a i'm gonna make a hotel <laughs> rebuild the house for me yeah that is so cool <laughs> um i love also uh, on the motel sign it says newly renovated which feels like a nice little it's, yeah i think that are <laughs> little... yeah i think he's having a good i think everyone's having a good time everyone's having a good time final rating on its own terms it's a masterpiece but on its own terms it's a masterpiece but if i'm just i'm gonna go pretty good really pretty good 
If Anne Heche was Nicole Kidman, I think I might go Masterpiece. Oh, but she is pretty. Um, what could have been? It is tough. We might need to invent a new. I'm gonna go a, a step above pretty good and say really good. Okay. Not a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's a, it's a, it's a, an experiment. It's a masterpiece, and yeah. it, 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 it. I think it's so much better than it gets credit for, though. Yeah. yeah. Is your bone to pick that you don't think it should have been made? But like your bone to pick with it can't be like oh, I just lost all the magic. Like right, yeah. I know, I know. The and if original like bone to pick is like it shouldn't be made. That makes me want to like ask them all. Like th- then I just like want to find made. the flaw. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's this little. At the, I don't know if anyone's noticed this, but at the credits when it's special thanks, it says thanks to John Woo for the kitchen knife. Yes, I did. See I that. saw that. Yeah, <laughs> that's Fuck a great yeah. little incredible little thing in there. Yeah, incredible that John Woo. Yeah, contributed <laughs> in any way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what's so special about this fucking weird little movie. I really like it. <laughs> Listen, I think that the world needed a a campy gay psycho more than than they knew they needed it. Like, I don't know. At the end of the day, when people get mad about this shit, I'm like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> give me a fucking break. <laughs> this next one too, though. So this next one, like, in a way, even more. Okay. Let's talk about Michael's movie, Funny Game. <laughs> Hello. Sorry to disturb you. I'm staying next door. Please, come in. Wow. That's a really great set of clubs. Mr. Farber. What? Ah! Yeah! You want to call someone? An ambulance? Or, or the police? Why are you doing this? Please. I'm Paul. We're gonna make a bet now. You bet that you'll be alive tomorrow at nine o'clock, and we bet that you'll be dead. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch the tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Why don't you just kill us? You shouldn't forget the importance of entertainment. <laughs> Keep me safe all through the night, please. <laughs> That's awesome, really. Really. Unlike Van Sant Psycho, Haneke returns to his own source material rather than a beloved classic. Only a decade old by the time Haneke reshoots Funny Games in English and in America. He also recasts his film with more widely recognized actors like Van Sant. Haneke here also prefers an almost painstakingly faithful adaptation, again retracing his steps from 10 years prior to make essentially a shot-by-shot remake of his own film. Following a family of three to their vacation home, Anne, played by Naomi Watts, George, played by Tim Roth, and their young son Georgie are accosted by two waspy intruders, Paul, played by Michael Pitt, and Peter, played by Brady Corbett. What begins as tedious meddling quickly escalates into all-out torture, and the family struggles to survive the night as the home invaders put them through a series of miserable games. So much easier to write than the other one. Uh, what's the score on this baby? <laughs> Bob, just below rotten. It's at 50, Makes sense. 52%, and, it's, and the original is 69%. Once again, really begs the question of if you liked the first one. Really? More so than, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the it's the same director, so you can't be like, why did you do this why to the original? <laughs> and also, like, it's in a different language. You, you know, like I, I mean, saw this in the theaters. I saw it. Did in either one too. of you? I saw it in theaters. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I was too young. Because I was an M, like 
someone who really likes Michael Haneke. So by the time mm-hmm. that this comes out, I am like a super fan or whatever. I have seen all of his movies up until this point. I, I think The Code Unknown might be my favorite. I really, but oh, Cachet's really I love up Code there. Unknown. I really love Benny's video. I really love him. I liked the original Funny Games. Quick so aside time, about Benny's video tying into Psycho. My <laughs> biggest takeaway from Benny's video when I watched it a couple years ago for the first time was, holy shit, this kid drinks so much milk, it's upsetting. That kid <laughs> no, drinks it is an a thing. ungodly amount of milk. I'm right. Milk's gross and directors. Oh, that's the most terrifying part of that character is how much milk he drinks and with the meals that he drinks it with. I was like, this kid's fucked. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Olivia, I'm sorry. Do you, uh, if you drink milk with. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I I do not drink glasses of milk on my own. No. You're not a spoiled little white (laughs) boy. (laughs) But you might be a killer. Like I'm not, I'm not apologizing. I I think it is an earmark. Olivia, I'd rather you be a murderer than a person who drinks milk spaghetti like killing oh i know it's fucking with a red sauce you fucking freak anyway oh, yeah. <laughs> I, saw this in the I was gonna say i don't want to shame people like that but you know let's i don't mind let's no fuck them this is a, even this oat is, milk any we, kind of milk like milk. if you're drinking a whole glass of it like i don't i'm my milk. sorry <laughs> yeah i think it's fucking weird um, oh they're probably all gassy and weird they're probably i don't just... even know i don't want to think about it i don't want to think about it but so like i saw this in the theaters but i was excited to see it like i wasn't like oh why is he doing this again because at the time i think i was like cognizant enough of his work and then also like horror movies to be to be able to take take the step and be like well of course he's redoing this like so many of his movies have been like aped funny games in particular like i think like the home invasion or like like the strangers type horror movie became more popular after funny games and i was like yeah if i was him i'd be pissed too i would want to remake my own movie to like rub him in people's faces too to be like i did this first and i did it better this movie is really scary to me both versions both times i feel trapped and i am i guess you are but like i know what's happening and i also know it's just a movie i i can't stand watching it i really like it <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't find this movie scary, but I find Ugh. the situation scary. I do think that The Strangers is scary because that's a more straight up. This one scares me film. so much more because it feels more like, be careful what you wish for. Like, do you think these things are entertaining? This is what it is. Like, I, sure, I, I just, sure, this sure. one, and like, and he's just a great director. So, you know, like, all the scenes like leading up to it, namely the egg scene, which I'd like to talk about, <laughs> um, the egg is just scene like is so needle. <laughs> well, because it's a lot like the good part of the mother where it is just like a socially awkward mother the darren aronofsky movie yeah like all the michelle pfeiffer parts i love in the mother i don't like that movie very much i am i can't remember olivia do you like mother i i hate (laughs) i mean it's always gonna be one extreme reaction I mean, um, hate that movie. I had a great, but like, it was like one of the few times that I went on a date and then a dinner afterwards where I actually felt like the conversation that we had about the movie and it was like an early date too, was actually productive. So at mm-hmm. that, that point, I have to say like, I appreciate that movie. I think he understand what, like, I think he's a good filmmaker and I think the first 40 minutes are really entertaining. Like when it's just about these people being our, in our house that she rather not have them there. It reminds like, me of the parts that I liked about, I'm thinking of any things that are just like, I find that stuff very yeah funny when you just feel like you have no control over a situation yeah people are like behaving you know it's like they're not like quite like gaslighting you but it feels like you're having a very different conversation than they're having and you're like am i crazy that we're i don't think we're understanding each other right now well, um, especially because like naomi watts does kind of like Anne Hish, but much better like play it like she gets annoyed pretty quickly 
she like lets herself be like i i, I would be pretty annoyed i would be pretty annoyed by that guy i would be <laughs> afterwards but like i wouldn't be like like i my fuse would be even long because it is so peculiar and you know that they're there to do harm so you're on her side but she's pretty quick to be like jesus fucking christ basically <laughs> and i'm just like yeah oh. yeah i think when the phone drops in the sink that's when she's like okay i've had it yeah if she's like how yeah. about you leave before like you destroy everything or something everything in the kitchen probably, yeah i would probably hide it a little bit more because i would i think also i would probably be like is there something wrong with this kid like fuck i don't want to be mean to this kid he seems like he's on the spectrum or something i don't want yeah. to like, go on like a like hey buddy yeah. let's get you out of here <laughs> you just dig your eggs with that's you. what i think i would do i think i would be like i would shift downshift to be patronizing and escorting him out and then all right little buddy complaining to my husband later like what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with that kid what the fuck is wrong with them so what he does is like he continually says that he needs four eggs and he keeps breaking them and yeah. <laughs> have, olivia have you seen the original i i watched it for the first time a few days ago what did so, you uh, think of the original i thought it was it was good i mean i like this one so much better i lo- i do really like hanake and yeah this is hearsay, but I this is probably my favorite movie he's done. The oh, American wow. Wow, okay. Funny Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, it was also the first one I ever saw by him. So sure. it was like opened up a door, but yeah. I, I think I it was the first movie. one I saw by him too, actually. I think I wasn't familiar. No, that's not true. I saw Cache first. I was but, say, but, okay. but the egg scene is different. Like, doesn't she wrap them in parchment paper in the original? In the original, yeah. And then this, the she carton. gives them to. Yeah, I don't know why, but like, I, I think I prefer this one too. But they're but they're so similar that I don't think I could like say yeah. that I greatly prefer one to mm-hmm. the other. But the egg scene, I think, is like a weird one where I don't know if like if people do that more in Europe. But I was like, but it does like build a little bit of a different tension to watch her like wrap the eggs really delicately in that paper but that's really the only huge difference besides the performers that i can think of i think that's the main difference besides the acting is just the look of it it's like so much more sleek obviously the different time periods it was made but i think i think the look of it gives it so much more of like a political aesthetic just because it is sleeker and it's it's kind of egging you on like look at how good this looks look you're watching this violence Mm -hmm. and i think that lends itself so much better than the original because the original is kind of grainy it's you know it is grainy are you saying that like because this house could pass as like somewhat like house porn that it is able to articulate some of the things in the first one a little bit more coherently yeah yeah i just think the general look of it just like the it's much more cleaner it's 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 a much i think it's a little easier on the eyes sure so you're watching it with a little bit more ease as well the fact that it's in english and then it has this aesthetic i think kind of proves the point a little bit better of the ease of watching this happen or not the ease it's obviously very uncomfortable but you are still watching it unfold yeah no absolutely you know violence yeah well and america is a much bigger country too that so i think that this is supposed to be like new england-ish hamptons-esque yeah it seems like like area so it's like that is also like built into that like the like people who would have this house here i feel like are just different than Mm -hmm. people who might have that house in austria Naomi Watts, I think, is just fucking What isn't incredible. she good in? Like, yeah. 
I think she should be talked about the way that I think, and I like Amy Adams a lot, but I think that she should be talked about the way we talk about Amy Adams. Where we're Isn't like, she? I feel like she's not. I feel like Amy Adams, every like time she does, she does so something, they're like, where's things, her Oscar? I feel like she hasn't had as many, I feel like the older she gets, she hasn't gotten as many interesting parts, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but she's so yeah. fucking good in this. She's great. And so is Tim Roth. Like Tim Roth is incredible in this. Yeah. And if anything, I think that the killers in this are scarier. Very, very much so. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I think, yeah, and it ties into like the idea of, yeah, like these blonde hair, blue eyed, handsome white kids, you know, or at least Michael Pitt, who's very pretty, you know. They kind of look like evil versions of like the two oldest sons in something like Home Improvement to me. Like they're definitely because like, it's 2007. Should like they're definitely this with Zachary Ty Bryan and Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Tim because Allen. Because the... <laughs> they definitely have that kind of like post DiCaprio. Yeah. Like bullshit. Yeah, well, I think Michael thing. put Michael Pitt was kind of looked at as maybe a, an heir to the DiCaprio throne for a little but bit. But he's and, just too creepy. I don't even. Well, apparently he's a horrible person. So. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Apparently he is a absolute. There's a reason oh. he doesn't work. It's because he's a nightmare. Is Michael Pitt the one that's also in Murder by Numbers? Yes. Because yeah. these are both like loose adaptation, which again ties back again to Hitchcock to Leopold and Loeb like one of the more like not (laughs) top 10 uh weird murder things that have happened in in this country but like Hitchcock makes Rope which is like another Leopold and Loeb tale and and Murder by Numbers is also a Leopold and Loeb like riff right and like this one is too in the sense that like there was no motivation to the kill the killings are able are, are done simply because they wanted them to they were curious yeah they thought of themselves as like intellectuals mm-hmm. that wanted to like take Nietzschean thought to like its utmost <laughs> yeah the idea that like oh yeah we can get away with this because there's no there's no pattern to it there's no there's no motive so michael pitt yeah he was in murder by numbers he's okay. also he's also in another movie before that called bully where he is it's a based on a real life murder mm-hmm. it's a shame that michael pitt is apparently how he's because he's a great actor and he's, he's so good yeah I, lo- great I love presence. his acting i think the most divisive performance is brady corbett's which i actually really like i like love it I think Brady Corbett's great in this. I think he gives the most specific performance. Like he's clearly mm-hmm. making a choice, but I think it pays off. Like I think that the way that he goes about, you know, talking to Naomi Watts in that first scene is so like you do kind of feel like, oh, is there something wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. how do I how do I treat you right now? Like I'm not sure how to address you. And that's kind of unnerving. How did you get in here? Down there. I mean, down by the water. But you're not wet. There's a hole in the fence. By the water, not in the water. Fred should... I mean, Mr. Thompson knows about it. He showed it to me. Oh, I see. So, you're sure they're okay like this? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. No problem. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Oh, please say hello to Reeve. Tell her we're looking forward to the game tomorrow. I'll tell her. Thanks again. And and thanks to Fred and your friends. Oh, you. What happened? I'm really sorry. <laughs> It's not so bad. None of us eat eggs for breakfast anyway. Very clumsy, you know. I think I have two left hands. (laughs) Then you're the man for carrying eggs. Yes, you could say that. I think they're all great. I think, honestly, the kid is my least favorite, but I think he's supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. Like, it does, like, because, like, going back to, like, other home invasion movies, it does kind of break 
like the first rules like don't kill a kid and if you do don't kill it fucking first you don't you know they kill the dog and the kid first so first, they break yeah. all the rules to basically be like anything can happen but also I think- and it works like, it, like killing the kid after like having him escape once like it does just make you know that you're going to be into like you're it's just this movie's going to be miserable mm-hmm I think that the kid is interesting because I think that you're kind of supposed to find him grading. Yeah. I think that in these movies, typically, we're given these very, like, kind of, you know, socially acceptable, like, pretty white family, you know, well-to-do white family, and the son is very precocious, and the dog is beloved. And in this, the dog is great. The dog is a dog. The, he's, the he's dog's in annoying. It barks when there's people. But he's yeah. annoying in, like, a way that's, like, it's a dog. Who cares? Yeah. Like, it's in dogs your way. It doesn't yeah. shut the fuck up. It, like, goes into the fridge, and the kid is, like, this wide-eyed, kind of whiny little shit like he seems like a kid that if i knew him in school like would be annoying because he's in between being like a cute age yeah. and beginning to like probably want to play playstation so like like and, and that is like a weird awkward age for kids in general it's just like you you still kind of want your mommy probably if you're scared but yeah you're like old enough where you're like you're just not as fucking cute as you used to be and you talk too much and you talk too well like you, you're beginning to resemble your adult self and there's something like repugnant about that it's and i think the movie does a good job at like she's annoyed when she sees him she's like what yeah that actor was 12 <laughs> when the shot and he looks younger i i don't find the kid annoying i'm in the minority here i think <laughs> okay. he's fine i didn't I find him anno- i didn't find him annoying this time this you time did. i okay. didn't no no no. i think when i first saw it because i was younger and i think you, it does depend on your age where it's like you could be like a teenager in your 20s and watch this and be like oh fuck this kid mm-hmm. um and now i'm like oh he's just a kid yeah you know he's just yeah. a kid like i'm sure i would have been the same fucking way you i know? mean i'm sure i would have like gotten killed sooner like the kid actually does make a, a he pretty great does, yeah, he, he, he does a really good job for like it a was 10, only when he was trying to hop the yeah. fence i was like buddy, buddy no but yeah. every other thing he's like dumb. when he gets to the other house <laughs> even though i know what's going to happen like this time i was able to appreciate like you're making pretty smart decisions mm-hmm. going back to to like how I think like what this movie is trying to articulate is that the American idea of like the intellectual because it does open with uh, like t- oh, Tim Roth God. and Naomi Watts playing the most annoying game. Like if I knew these people, I yeah. would unfollow them. Yeah, just, like, yeah. Putting in classical music and being like they're playing name that tune to like symphony, to opera like, to Brahms yeah. and shit. And yeah, the when kids all gets excited it wrong, about it too. They're like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'm fucking sorry. No, like you do that with like the oeuvre of Britney Spears or nothing at all. Like, fuck you guys. And it because it is like these people that have like an auxiliary house that they're able to go to enough that they keep food at. I think the idea like having an auxiliary home would be like even more pronounced now and how it's just kind of like taken for granted or almost valorized in this one. I think it, it is telling and like and like the way that they drive past the killers up to the beginning is so masterfully done because like you mm-hmm. didn't, don't get to see their faces and it is like uh, they just look like they should be here because they're in a gol- golf outfit and they're white yeah they blend mm-hmm. in really well they blend yeah and i think that's something that i really took away this time that i'd like to talk about is how much sympathy do we have for this family and where does that sympathy come from I mean, they they all die br- like brutally and unexpectedly. So like, I think the sympathy comes from the acts that they're being put through. I think it's purely it's not from like who they are, but I think it's simply that they're being subjected to this this violence that right. that 
makes you lend sympathy towards them. I don't think it has anything to do with their characters. Yeah, they're almost so bland that you just like project yourself into that situation. Mm -hmm. And there's almost like no differentiation between the killers and the people being killed in the sense that they all look like they could be a family. Mm -hmm. Where I think it is like just, again, like almost an experiment of like, let's see what would happen if we just take this to like the umpteenth degree instead of, I don't know, a movie like The Strangers or The Purge. Well, I think that that's kind of what I question this time is my past reactions to it and other movies. Because in a lot of ways, the family are also villains. They're villains through what they represent in society. They're a wealthy family who live in a very different world than most of the world. They, the what, what they take for granted, what they value is so much different. And it's this idea of they have all, they have multiple properties. This is their property. And the idea of people invading your space and invading your property. But it does kind of start calling into question, like, how did you get this property? Where does your money come from? And you don't know anything about them. You don't know what they do. You don't know how they got any of this. And I think it adds to this layer. It made me think about, like, when I was a kid, I remember, like, when I would drive through nice neighborhoods like Beverly Hills or anything, like, with my mom, my mom used to always look at houses and say, like, man, what the fuck do all these people do? Mm -hmm. How can there be all these people that have all these houses and, and this kind of wealth and, like, you don't even know what they do? Who actually has this kind of money? Where does it come from? And I think that's part of something that's interesting about this is this idea of like, it's a very different version of what Parasite does, but it is still class warfare in its own way. You also don't know anything about the killers. I which, Yeah, that's, yeah. I was going to say, like, I, I think the say. killers probably come from the same socio, like economic group as them. And yeah. like, what's I think it's wrong with the family is the fact that they're able, that they don't see them as threats because they pass, like because they look mm-hmm. like them. I'm sure that For those- sure. And maybe I am projecting it because, like, I know that the killers are loosely based on Leopold and Loeb, and right. those people were rich. Um, For sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I think it's like it, it because everything is so vague and everybody plays into an archetype in their own way. I think that's what makes this movie so interesting and, and especially interesting to talk about. I think both these movies are actually, you could make an argument that they're both more interesting to talk about than to experience. And that's not to take away from their experience or watching them because they're both not movies that you can technically be like, wow, I really enjoyed that. You know, I would never watch this movie at a like sleepover or like you know what I mean like Eric my best friend wanted to she had never seen it she's never she's still never seen it and one time we literally went to a cabin in the woods and she was like let's watch funny games because she knows it's a movie that fucks me up and I was like you can't like no I would never I, I'd never want right. to watch this movie with other people I like it is just like watched oh, it at a sleepover actually you have? I, have I put it on yeah god you're fucking yeah. hardcore I, dude. I know I know <laughs> I was a teenager yeah I can't like this movie like fucks me up like I have like such a visceral reaction to this like it does kind of make me ill that mm-hmm. I don't like watching it with other people I like I like the movie <laughs> but, yeah but yeah. I think that you're right in that, like, yeah, like, you could make it, I, I think it, like, could go any which way. It's like, you don't really know anything about any of these people, and it doesn't really matter because they're all about what they present themselves as or how they pass themselves. Because, yeah, Well, and part- even, like, the killers never break, and something that I think is so spooky about them is that they don't act, at first, that they're polite and even convivial, and then show, like, a maca- ma- maniacal, like, cackle. Or right, anything. right. They stay convivial and, like, what's wrong as they're killing you? Yeah, (laughs) that's the most disturbing part of the movie is because I think it's like that's what's so great about once again going into like those parts of like mother that do work or the parts, you know, films like that. that They do do work. work, Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like the scariest thing is being in a room with somebody that's been that's invaded your space that you're like, I can't get this person out of my space. I don't know what they want. And I feel like we're having 
we're in, on different planets right now. Like we're not yeah. having a conversation. I can't even reason with you because you're they're gaslighting them essentially into being like, no, everything's fine. What do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? And that's terrifying because you're like, fuck, what do I do here? And I think Tim Roth really has some really great reactions to it where he kind of laughs, even though he's in this horrible pain. Yeah. And it really does just remind you how underrated Tim Roth is. He's a guy he who's just kind of always like, he's never quite been like the guy. I know. He's so consistently reliable. And yeah, he has a lot of heavy lifting to do here. Him and Naomi Watts both do, both put through the fucking ringer. And she's obviously exploited and a much more physical way but the whole thing with his character is like this idea of like emasculating him and he's already a guy who you can clearly tell that the Naomi Watts character takes more charge in the situation she's more aggressive with them and getting them out he's more open to hearing them out and be like well what's going on here and then they really use that against him throughout the movie but that's funny that you see like I definitely think that's in the text and like explicit but like when I was watching the movie, like watching her take charge, I was wondering if that was supposed to be because she's like the mom and mother characters are supposed to be like you care about your kids so much. Like once the little boy dies, Tim Roth is the character. Right, yeah. But it's just like he he basically gives up at that point. Like he's ready to die too. Naomi Watts' character, the mother character, still has some fight in her and she still wants to live. And I actually think that like that is Michael Haneke not calling her a bad mom. But I think that more so like questioning like how we view mothers in general. Cause I think that like in a different movie and even like a more Hollywood movie of the same time, those worlds would be reversed. The mother would just want to die because her kid is died, right, right, yeah. dead and the dad would try to fight their way out. And I do like that about this movie where it's like, yeah, they, they're not the most sympathetic family, but it's still, it's horrible to watch them get t- tortured in the way that they do and not to project yourself on that situation. But I was like, oh, I, I kind of forgot about that or took it for granted the first time that once a kid is dead, Naomi Watts' character, that's actually where she began begins to fight more because once her kid is dead, when her kid is alive, she has to be like, it's okay, honey. It's going to be okay. She has to be worried about him. And once the kid's dead, she actually makes the best efforts of getting free. Yeah. With Naomi Watts, I almost wondered at first, I was like, man, do I dislike Naomi Watts too much? Or because she's so great. It's not to say that she's miscast because she's not miscast by any means. But I was like, I wonder what this would look like with a more unlikable actress in the part. I think I was like, man, who would necessarily be this person like in real life? Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow Paltrow is a woman that's waspy in a way that you would more root for her dying. Like, Naomi Watts is someone that I think we kind of side with. Like, I would argue that Naomi Watts has never been miscast in anything because she's so great. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, for sure, I would have been like, well, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I think that it really, like, what's so fascinating about this movie is just how it really, it asks so many questions. Once again, like we talked about, like, what is the point? of watching something like this what is the point of watching any type of like genre film where really it most genre, like especially horror films like this like we yeah. know the fucking ins and outs of it it's interesting i think how much this movie it is a it's more of like an intellectual experiment of film where it's like you start to ask those really kind of pretentious big questions or you're like man i feel like an asshole like having these conversations but i think that is what the movie is i is- think it's asking you like why do we watch horror movies in particular like why what's enjoyable about something that's unenjoyable right mm-hmm. and, and like you kind of suffer too like yeah. i mean obviously not like to the extent but like this movie i have a note that like it reminds me of like giving blood in the sense where i'm like oh i know i should do it but fuck, I get really faint and sick and like, I don't feel well afterwards. Like I dread this movie in the same way that like when I was little, I used to dread getting shots. Like I hate watching this movie, even though I think it's like, 
good for me? I don't know. I, I feel like it's an exercise in watching this not pointless, but just like never ending gratuitous violence. And I think that's why it works in English more because it's kind of a critique of mm-hmm. the gratuitous violence of, of a lot of the, the movies of that time. But and, and our culture surrounding them, obviously, he like plays metal music and while he's like chasing the kid around the right, house right. and, and, and like stuff the like NASCAR that. car on the TV. Yeah, yeah. I think it's ultimately asking just like, what is the point? Like, is this pointless? Is this watching these people suffer completely pointless? Because you don't, right. you're not really, you don't get, no one gets out. You you don't get anything in return. You're just watching these people suffer. Yeah, yeah there's no catharsis. Yeah. It's unrelenting. Yeah. And, and it's like no cathartic moment. Yeah. It's yeah. mean. It's a mean movie. Yeah. And it's upending yeah. our expectations of getting that cathartic reward out of watching a horror movie. It's like anything like a rape revenge movie or anything like that where you're like, oh man, because the whole thing, it's like, oh, Naomi Watts is going to break out and she's going to fucking get vengeance because it's like her motivation at that point could be like, I'm going to fucking kill these people, which is what right. my motivation would probably be if my son was shot right in front of me. I'd be like, well, fuck right. it. She does like shoot oh, yeah. th- one of the the killers, and then Hanaki loves his video, rewinds the movie mm-hmm. to where you know he's still alive, and she doesn't she doesn't get away with it. There's no there's no release. You're not there's no, uh, no. there's no breathing. It's it's completely tense. Tell your wife not to be shy. You just have to tell her to take off her clothes. Take off your clothes, honey. Take off your clothes, honey. Bravo. What did I say? No jelly rolls. In like a lot of his movies, he doesn't cut when you think he's going to or when you want him to. You watch that really mm-hmm. long take after the kid is shot and they leave of her, right. you know, untying herself and yes, yeah. hopping around. And you can't even tell if Tim Roth is dead almost because no, she's just can't. not yeah. moving. He yeah. might as well be in the end. Yeah. And I love that the first thing she does too when she gets loose is turn off the TV. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like contradicting the mood of what she should be feeling right now. Like right. I should just be feeling what I'm feeling, but also. Like she doesn't go to her husband. She goes to turn off the TV. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting choice. There's a lot of human choices like that in the movie. Someone eats baguette at some point. Tim Roth, yeah. yeah, Honestly, that was so, he's so great there. He's sitting there blow drying a cell phone after his son has just been shot in front of him. And he's just, but he's also like, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. Yeah. And he's so good. And he just, the way he cries, he's a great crier. Um, he is. Oh my God, when he's calling 911. It does ask, obviously, what is the point of all of this? And it does make you question, like when you watch horror movies, like, because it's such a popular genre. It's a, it's a genre that hasn't necessarily even had to evolve in a lot of ways. Like, we still know what's going to happen for the most part, no matter what we do, whether it's art house horror or woke horror or teen slash movie from the 90s. Like, we know the mechanics of it. And there's something, it's, it's like, we like to be scared or we like to feel that fear or we like to laugh, you know, that kind of. Yeah. laugh on something that you know nerve-wracking is happening or suspenseful or just something so over the top but there's something comforting and knowing that like but i do kind of know what's going to happen like yeah. i do know that at the end someone gets their moment they get to they get to kill the killer the killer doesn't have to get away because nine out of ten times that's what's going to happen like there's going to be the final girl that comes back and mm-hmm. and gets revenge and it made me even really think about like i watched this documentary the other night called time that's about this woman it's just her and in in 
in old home videos in present time, like there's no like talking head interviews and it's about her and her fight to get her husband released from prison. He gets a 60 year sentence for robbing a bank and mm-hmm. it's like this crazy sentence and it's about her over the course of 20 years trying to get him out and what that feels like and watching that and I think watching that and a lot of other like documentaries like that or even newer films that are like academy friendly, like movies that kind of, you know, that get you angry or riled up. Right. You're like, oh, the injustice, <laughs> you know, and there's, that's obviously very fair, but it did make me question. I'm like, do the people that actually would be maybe swayed or affected by this even watch these movies or are they just preaching to the audience? And I'm like, why even watch stuff like this? Sometimes I wonder, like, what am I getting out of this? Because a lot of the time it's like, well, I mean, I know that this exists and I know that this is a fucking huge problem, but what am I getting out of watching like? Well, it's like the Sullivan Travels argument. Or, you know what I mean? Or just like, uh, like how he learns to that he just wants to make comedies because the people. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, well, what is? Yeah. And it does question like, well, what is the point of really any movie? Like, what is what? Why does it exist? And what am I getting out of it? Especially when I know going into it, like, wow, this is going to be a really. Yeah. You know, it'd be like if you were going to watch like a heavy like documentary or like a Lars von Trier movie, like, wow, well, I know this is going to be bleak going into it, but I'm still going <laughs> to experience it. Like, what exactly do you want out of it at the end? And sometimes I'll like watch movies and at the end I'm like. Did I just want to feel something out of that? Or (laughs) am I just am I just watching it to watch it to be like well I've seen that you know mm-hmm. yeah. I've seen that movie you know sometimes you just watch movies to be like well I keep hearing I'm supposed to see it so I watched it but yeah with I this mean, it, it's just interesting well like we're all three people who like obviously like horror movies and like movies a lot but when I hear like I'm sure we all have friends that like absolutely won't watch them right mm-hmm. sure, I think yeah. those people are so interesting that they will just like x out a genre because they're too scared And when they talk about why, this is my pet theory, but I think I'm right. When they talk about (laughs) why, the only thing that I have to compare it to is I will not get on roller coaster. And I think that they're like almost inverted fears where like a horror movie, your body is obviously actually safe, even though you're watching the destruction of other bodies, but it's like fucking with your head and like, and like captivating it in that moment and I feel the exact same thing about roller coasters where I hate that like as much as I want to like distract my brain and think about like my dog my teddy bear whatever I want it is like putting my body through a grueling set of just like uncomfortableness and fear where I will not go on them anymore I'm past the age of getting peer pressured and getting on one and I typically fail like I think if you're like a super movie person you kind of like this doesn't always apply but I feel like people fall into two camps people who really really like horror movies or people who really really like roller coasters try it out all i'm saying is try it out you the listener try it out it fucking works like watch 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 all my friends who hate horror movies love roller coasters it's the same fucking feeling there's a difference fucking goddamn point I think there's a difference. Well, yeah, but I think there's a difference between being like, well, it's just a movie that will end and I'm not going to die watching this. And for me, the reason I wouldn't go on a roller coaster now is because I'm like, what's the point of that? Because like also like that's a risky thing that like that could go wrong. I could be that one statistic of person that got on a roller coaster and died. You know, it's the same reason I'm like, I'm never going to jump out of a plane because I don't need to feel that fucking yeah, yeah, thrill. Yeah. That's cool mm-hmm. if you do. I kind of wish there was a part of me that was like, fuck yeah, let's same, jump out same, of a plane. Same. But I'm I like, think a lot of those people don't like horror movies. I really do. I think <laughs> 
lot of those people are the people who are like are like the most scared of something right. like this. And I do think that like I don't know. I don't know what the fucking scariest movie is for like you guys. This isn't like ooh spooky scary in the same way like Hereditary was for me. That also like fucked up uh, my. I don't sleep think Hereditary is scary though. That really fucked. Uh, I'm bad scary. at like all of my all of my nightmares are nightmares where I've accidentally killed someone and I'm like. So I think that Hereditary is brilliant because it's able to be like a paranormal horror movie if that is what scares you more and or, or like a guilty horror movie which is actually what scares me a lot and a movie that also kept me up at night was don't look now where it which is like also just kind of like a that's funny i find movie. both of those movies to be so funny oh they really fuck me up <laughs> like i get really 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 i upset. think hereditary doesn't work as a horror movie i think it works as a black comedy about a family disintegrating but i it don't really think that it's me. actually scary it is jump scares in it but like no when he it's like <laughs> that scene where the sister's like has been decapitated and then he's just upstairs and we have to hear the mom find the body i can't like i cannot tell you how much sleep i that movie owes me from just like thinking about that having nightmares about that it's just like i'm a very guilty person i hate myself so i like and so i i constantly am worried about like what if people don't like me what if i do the wrong thing what if i get found out for being about a bad person like what if what if what if like like that was a movie that like functions in the horror genre that's like able to confront my actual worst fear is someone finding out something about me that i wish they hadn't yeah (laughs) olivia you like horror movies though right i do i do like horror movies yeah are you scared by them? Or do you? Uh, some of them. Hereditary did not scare me, but I also just generally did not like it. You don't, uh, like, okay. you don't like him, right? Oh, I hate him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I do get scared. I, it, it really depends. Like um, when I see things and how I see them, like The Exorcist really scared me. Really? That it. one doesn't yeah. scare me. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's I Yeah, that is funny. So everyone has like- Five years like, ago and I thought yeah. it was really funny. <laughs> I was like, really? This is really? <laughs> Were you oh raised religious at all? May I ask that? Or I guess I did I, ask that. I hope it's not inappropriate. I wasn't. I wasn't. Okay. But my mom is Catholic, but I wasn't raised Catholic. But I, I just think it's just general, generally like very scary and i saw it as an adult james wan stuff also gets okay that fucks me up too yeah interesting okay does really ask these great questions which is like do we need to sympathize with the protagonists or like do we need a reason for them to suffer like do we need to know who they are and and, and identify with them and sympathize with them before they're put through the suffering and knowing who they are or knowing if they're good people or not good people does it justify it or or not justify it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. is there like blatant wealth reason enough to put them through this. Like on one hand, I think it the is. The wealth makes it a better experiment because it's like these people have probably, they're wealthy. So they've obviously like, or we are able to project that they probably turn like a blind eye to a bunch of other things, like other horror, like atrocities that happen. Um, I think they have to be white. And I also think that like, they yeah. have to be like pseudo intellectuals because I think that that is something that even people like me think that like that would save me in the event of something horrible happening happening and it never will and it never ever will i think that is like why women gravitate towards genre and true crime so much it's almost like if we can fill our tool belts with everything bad that we know has happened to people who look like us then like maybe we can stave off it happening to ourselves and so i do think that the people need to be extravagantly like not extravagantly rich like kind of banal in their richness and they have to be white it just wouldn't be fun to 
to see the other thing, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think that the bad guys also need to be white. Like, I think that they need to be like of the same. Cause like there's even a part where we're told that somebody is like taking their SATs next week. And like, they're hoping to get into a good school. Like one of the bad guys, like they, yeah. they talk about Brady. school kind of a right, lot. Yeah. 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 And it's like the ability to like both live, like to live in that, like gave you like a false sense of security just like their phones give them a false sense of security like you think that you're protected because you can dial three numbers but what happens when your phone is wet and no longer working (laughs) yeah and i love when michael pitt when he has that scene where he's basically like this is why we're doing this and Mm -hmm. he gives them the fake motive and he's like we both Mm -hmm. know that everything i just said was a lie so why are we playing this game yeah and it does tie into like do these are these movies easier to swallow when the killer has a motive it's like that's why the first Halloween is so great I think and why everything else kind of is bad because the more that you and why the, the more psycho you know. isn't doesn't work is because the more that you know the sc- the less scary it is but it's just like there's a there's a fine line to walk between like I have no idea why this is happening or why this person's doing this and 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 over explaining it the fact that Naomi Watts's character is able to live the longest just means that she experiences the most trauma in a way killing the dog and the kid is putting them out of their misery because everyone has to watch it yeah like it feels like it broke almost a code of conduct in horror movies the first time i saw it because a kid died so early and then this time i'm almost like thank god because after that i was able to like settle in and watch the movie a little more intently but up until then i was like so fidgety yeah because you worry about that and especially by killing the dog first you know it's been discussed just flops out of the car how did they do that something i noticed this time was when they are on the boat and they're about to kill mm-hmm. Naomi Watts is Paul tells Peter, is it Peter yeah. or Paul? It's Paul. There are Peter it, and Paul. There's Peter and Paul. Peter and yeah. Paul. Paul. Okay. Paul. Okay. Yeah. Paul tells Peter that to be careful because he doesn't know how to swim. So mm-hmm. I feel like even like right up until the end, you think like, oh, well, maybe something's going to happen to him. Like maybe he'll fall off the boat or maybe she could get away. She has that knife. And it's kind of just like teasing you right up until like the very last moment of her death and i think that's so it's so cruel but i I think it's a really interesting like aspect of it like it just keeps just keeps leading you and and giving you like these little tiny bits of hope it's cruel but how cruel is it really in comparison to any other horror movie like our whole concept is like they're all cruel and it's Mm -hmm. really just like yeah there is some hope in there and i think the hope is really almost always there because it makes us feel as if it, it allows us to be above the film and the mm-hmm. characters to say, well, I would have done this differently or I could survive this because of that. And it gives us hope maybe to think like, well, if this ever happened to me, I know what I would do. And really at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you don't know what you would do and you probably would die. Yeah, I would yeah. die <laughs> Like so most likely quickly. you're gonna die. Yeah. Like I was watching this yeah. and I was like, I would probably be like the Tim Roth character. I'd probably yeah. be like, fuck, yeah. I'm exhausted yeah. and I wanna die. Keep me safe all through the night. Bravo. That was fantastic. Okay, that was the test run. Now we're going to go for the Olympic gold. If you can say this little, unfortunately, much too short of a prayer backwards with no mistakes, not only will you be able to decide which one of you bites it first, but also, and I'm sure this is going to interest you even more, with which device? Should we talk about these good old critics? Yeah. I mean, this is one that I actually remember a lot of the reviews of, yeah. 
like it's barely rotten, but it's barely the, rotten. The people that hate it hate it, which I think is the point of the movie, and it kind of feeds into Hunt's yeah. kind of thing. Is like you're, I'm gonna get a reaction out of you. Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal gave it an F. He said, in addition to being borderline unendurable, Funny Games is inexplicable, and I don't mean in any philosophical sense. David Edelstein of Vulture also gave it an F. He said, Haneke's assault on our fantasy lives is shallow, unimaginative, and glacially unengaged. A sucker punch without the redeeming passion of punk. Mike LaSalle, the San Francisco Chronicle, said just because it's a conscious commentary on other vile, useless, pointless cinematic exercises doesn't make it any less vile, useless, or <laughs> Peter Rayner, the LA Times, said, In the end, the difference between funny games and Hollywood schlock horror may only be a matter of breeding. Funny games is Saw 6 with a PhD. I mean, mm. he's not wrong necessarily. It's really hard to get a PhD. <laughs> it is very you know, hard to get like, a PhD. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I don't agree. know. Yeah, like, does that count for nothing? Like, does his skill, like, count for nothing? And I, I think that Hanukkah is, like, a difficult person, like, difficult director to talk about because, like, he's trying to critique the things that he has to, like, almost blow up to show. And then it's like, then then gets trickier to talk about. But, like, I love him. I like this movie a whole lot. Yeah, I just, I also just think that most of his movies are so fucking funny, except for Amor. Dana Stevens of Slate gave it a kind of a mixed review. She said, Many American viewers take Hanukkah at his word and walk out midway through this grueling ethics exam of a movie. But much as I may resent the facile polemics of Hanukkah's Shame the Viewer project, I have to respect the way that he nailed me trembling to my seat. And then the positive yeah. reviews. Todd Gilchrist of IGN said, Unrelenting and brilliant Funny Games is a truly great film, an incisive artistic triumph that doubles as a remarkably thrilling and unique cinematic experience. And finally, we haven't heard from this guy in a while. Oh, caffeinated fucking Caffeinated Clint is back. Great. You're so lucky, Olivia. He said, this is a piece of art. The direction (laughs) is amazing. The performances are top notch and the pot boiling pace is pitch perfect. He thought it was sizzling. So good for him. I mean, I guess we agree. Not a lot of behind the scenes, but um, the production crew used the blueprints from the 1997 original. The set of the house in the 2007 American remake has the same proportions as that as the 1997 set. So there you go. Okay. Michael Haneke states that the entire film was not intended to be a horror film. He says he wanted to make a message about violence in the media by making an incredibly violent but otherwise pointless movie. He had written a short essay revealing how he felt on the issue called violence in media, which I could not find. Oh, really? It's in a book of his. The reception was really horrible. The Times of London ranked it number 25 on its 100 worst films of 2008, calling it art house torture porn. I couldn't believe that they is... came up with 100 worst films. That's true. That's a, That was a crazy thing, too. But I just don't believe it's like this should be on any like worst list. No. It's like, come on. Tim Roth has said that making this film abused him and he'll never watch it. He said he was particularly disturbed oh. because Devin Gerhardt resembled his own son. Oh. Who's the MVP of Funny Games? Watts or Hanukkah? You like Roth. I'm torn, but honestly, this is I, a, like, everyone's maybe the really good. One. I would just say Hanukkah because yeah. it's just like. The whole cast is so great that, like. If... Oh, God, it's so hard. Um... This is a, I think this is the hardest one I've ever had to think of an MVP for. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways it is Hanukkah because like someone made a good point too. They said that he's one of the few directors where no matter what cinematographer he works with, he's still basically his own cinematographer. Like it's true, yeah. His look is so identifiable and like the yeah. mood and the shots of it because Darius Kanji shot this and is like fucking incredible. But and it looks great. But yeah, it's still a Michael Haneke movie. But oof. I Next can't. Time, cho- I, do I I'm, have to choose? I you don't choose. have to choose. <laughs> Uh, you're not going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) Um, i might say hanukkah yeah because i think that this is yeah it's his fucking thing man because naomi watts is always great yeah i do want to say that i i love brady corbett in this and i i can't believe that he had a controversial performance that like people were torn on it because i think he does a great job yeah i didn't realize that either until max said something and the character is so much more interesting in this one than the original in my opinion i agree 
he's like a blank slate in the original. So I think he, he takes his character and, and does a lot of really interesting things with it. Final rating. I'm going to go Misunderstood Masterpiece. It's Masterpiece for me. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. it just fucks me up so much that when something like affects me this much, I have to be like, I guess it's fucking great. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it made my, me, myself, like, yeah, I'm scared. Also, one of my favorite title sequences, too. Oh, like, so that, good. Yeah, both yeah, have so great title good. sequences. They do, so good. yeah. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, yes. dude. I love come back. You. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Please come back soon. <sighs> yes, I'd love to. So next week, we're going to be pivoting from remakes to sequels with an episode dedicated to underappreciated continuations of Halloween classics. We will be discussing the third installments of both The Exorcist, so Olivia, you might want to listen, and uh, (laughs) the Halloween series with Rotten Rewind regular guest Nick Laskin and our first time guest, he lives with you, Max. He lives with me, uh, Sean Kesa. That nice guy. Big, huge Halloween fan. Two times? He was so okay with me being inside of his house, which is more than I can say for most people. He's, he's a sweetheart and, and loves loves Halloween. If you want to catch up with either of the movies that we talked about today, Psycho, like we said, is streaming on stars. They got all the hits, baby. And funny they game. They have all the hits for us. <laughs> yes, yes. And then funny games, you got to pay to rent. But it's $1.99 on iTunes. Yeah, right I was going to say it's cheaper because or you're- Or you can buy it for four ninety nine if you want to watch it again and again and again. If you want to do your homework for next week, The Exorcist 3 is streaming on Tubi, Crackle, and Prime. And so, Peacock and Shudder. Exorcist 3 is on everything. <laughs> wow, weird. And Halloween 3 colon season of the witch is available to rent on itunes and like every week your real homework is rating and reviewing us on <laughs> itunes paying attention to our every move on instagram please follow us on spotify other podcasts apps tell your friends about us thank you olivia so much we thank always love you. you thank you guys yeah. always a pleasure thank you so much for listening you're welcome and bye thank you bye <laughs> Bye.